Then Jesus began to say to all in the synagogue in Nazareth, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is not this Joseph's son? Jesus said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, Do hear also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Now when they heard this, all who were in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove Jesus out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through their midst and went on his way. The stories that we tell and the stories that we hear play a really important role in our lives. Stories shape how we see the world. They tell us how to understand and think about ourselves and about other people. Stories reinforce who is us, who is them. They teach us about the past. And, and stories determine how we see and understand God. This morning, we heard just how powerful stories can be. In our reading from Luke, Jesus is back in his hometown at the synagogue from worship. He had just read from Isaiah where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he sat down and he said that this old passage from Isaiah was being fulfilled by him here, now, and everyone was excited and amazed. I mean, this was Mary and Joseph's son, the hometown boy, gathering disciples, building a movement, clearly destined for something huge. This is our guy, they thought. One of our people. This is going to be great for us. They were all so proud. And so what does Jesus do in response? He picks a fight with them on purpose. It's helpful to see that being gracious and loving is not the same thing as always avoiding conflict or allowing fear to silence truth that people need to hear. Jesus picked a fight and he did it by telling two stories from the Old Testament. The first was a story about the prophet Elijah who lived during a time 
when the Israelite king had stopped worshiping God and had instead turned to idols and invited others to do the same. And because of this, Elijah said that a drought was coming, no rain for three years. And then God sent Elijah to a widow, a woman who was a foreigner, a Gentile, and for three years, her little meager supply of oil and flour miraculously didn't run out. And Elijah and her family survived. The second story was about a man called Naaman, who was a leader in the Syrian army, a foreigner, one of the Israelites' enemies. He had leprosy and heard that there was a prophet in Israel that could heal him, so he went to visit, and after following the instructions to bathe in the Jordan River seven times, he was healed. And he went home praising God. And that's it. Those are the two stories Jesus mentioned. They seem simple, right? But by the end, the people in the synagogue are so angry, so filled with rage, that they want to take Jesus to a cliff so they can throw him off and kill him. Do you remember just a few minutes ago when everyone was speaking well of him? Excited? Full of pride? Stories are powerful. It's clear that these stories touched some sort of nerve within those who were listening, which is kind of surprising because these are stories that observant Israelites would have heard growing up, stories that they would have been familiar with. They were part of the Bible for crying out loud. But it's not just which stories we tell that matters, is it? It also matters how we tell them. I wonder how these stories had been taught and interpreted for those who were listening. They'd heard them before, but how did they understand them? Had they been taught that this story about Elijah and the widow was really about how powerful our ancient prophet was, how powerful our God is performing miracles that kept the widow's food from running out? Were they taught that the story of Naaman was about their God miraculously healing someone within the borders of their land? Maybe. Maybe like most stories, the more they were told, the more they changed. Changed in ways that made certain groups and people look better. Ways that just kind of rounded off the edges that might make for any uncomfortable details. But when Jesus referenced these stories, he focused on the uncomfortable parts. This story about Elijah... There were lots of widows around at that time, Jesus said, but God sent Elijah to a foreigner because she was faithful. And this story about Naaman, well, there were lots of people who had leprosy, but God didn't heal them. God healed the foreign enemy. Jesus tells them that these stories are about the fact that God doesn't care about someone's nationality that God isn't limited to one land, 
God doesn't belong to one people, that God isn't just your God. God is everyone's God. And this message of freedom and grace that Jesus was bringing wasn't just for their people. It wasn't just going to benefit them. And if they thought that, they were missing the whole points because God's freedom and grace was coming for foreigners and immigrants and outsiders and those considered lost and least. When Jesus told those stories in that way, it challenged how the Israelites thought about themselves, how they understood their own history, how they related to other people, how they understood God. Those are sacred things to challenge. It's painful to have them challenged. We see this in our nation right now. Across our country, school boards and parents, politicians and pundits are debating which stories can be taught in our classrooms, which books can be read, how the past should be understood. And the resulting debate has led to the same things we see in today's reading, discomfort, defensiveness, anger, even violence. I remember when I first learned about the Civil War in school when I was growing up. Our textbook taught that it was primarily fought over the practice of slavery and the South's desire to continue subjugating and dehumanizing black people. We know that's true because the Articles of Secession drafted by states that joined the Confederacy openly states that the preservation of slavery and their belief in the inherent God-ordained inferiority of black people was their primary motive. But I still remember when I brought it up at home And my father informed me that all of that was wrong. It wasn't the Civil War, Josh. It was the war of northern aggression. And it was really about preserving the South's economy as the North became industrialized and about states' rights in the face of an overreaching federal government. You see, my grandma's family was from South Carolina. At one point, she was the head of the United Daughters of the Confederacy, the group that funded most of the pro-Confederate monuments built during the Jim Crow era to to exalt the Southern cause and intimidate black people. Do you see that the stories we tell shape how we see everything? Ourselves, others, history. God. I feel like I'm still learning how many stories I don't know. It's a little embarrassing, but I never heard the story of the Tulsa massacre until last year. I didn't know that something called Juneteenth even existed until recently, much less the historical realities behind it. I was almost 30 years old, which feels a little ways ago at this point before I learned that the story of the first Thanksgiving that I was taught in school isn't historically accurate. And none of that's a coincidence. 
There's a reason I didn't hear those stories or, or was taught a different sanitized version of them. It's because they're uncomfortable. So we've looked for ways to ignore them, to not tell them, or to tell them in ways that get rid of the discomfort. Throughout time, a lot of people have used this passage from Luke this morning in ways that are anti-Semitic, but it actually reveals a very human tendency that is universal, that transcends ethnicity and religion and everything else. It points to the fact that no one likes stories that make their people, even their people in the distant past, look bad. It points to the reality that when something we've accepted as truth, whether it's something about ourselves as individuals or about our family or about our nation, when something we've accepted as truth is challenged, it's uncomfortable. It makes us feel defensive, angry. And it points to the most basic human trait of all, perhaps, that none of us like to feel uncomfortable. Right, Jeff? Yeah, good. I think that's why it's so significant that Jesus picks this fight, that he brings the discomfort, that he tells the truth. He sees that the people listening need to grow in their understanding of grace, grow in their ways they understand God, grow in their practice of love, especially towards outsiders and foreigners who they often sought to exclude or or viewed as, as living outside the bounds of God's love. They needed to grow. And there are a few things in life that help us grow as much as discomfort. This morning's reading tells us that following Jesus is sometimes going to be uncomfortable. But it also tells us that the discomfort God brings has a purpose. It's intended to change us so that we become more loving, more empathetic, more caring, more faithful, more gracious. Our discomfort can actually be a good and holy thing if we remain open to it. The truth is always better than a lie, even an uncomfortable truth. And Jesus came to tell us the truth, to tell true stories about God and about us, and about this world, following him will mean unlearning some stories we have held to be sacred or true. It will mean relearning some stories in new ways. For this crowd, it meant unlearning a belief that they owned God, that God was only for them or their people, that their history contained no shortcomings. But listen, Unlearning those things could make space for a much better truth. That in Christ, God has drawn near to each person of every land, offering God's grace and love and forgiveness, setting us free from everything that holds us in bondage, including our own twisted beliefs about ourselves and other people and God, that each person is made in God's image and Christ will not rest until all of this world is drawn into the sphere of his love and all that is broken is made right and whole. Jesus will not let us cling to any stories that makes God 
and is love any narrower? Stories that make our neighbors any less loved? Stories that paint us as any less sacred and redeemed? So I guess what I'm saying this morning is that I hope we hear and tell many stories that make us uncomfortable. And that God may use that discomfort to set all of us free, to heal what is broken, and to make us whole. Amen.